Hey, Kevin here, and this week on Philly Who, we are going to be revisiting the story of William Tyrone Toms, who is the co-founder of Wreck Philly. Now, this interview was recorded way back when in the summer of 2018 at Wreck Philly's old facility. Since then, in December of 2019, Wreck Philly opened a brand new, massive, state-of-the-art facility for creators in Market East in the Fashion District. It's got a podcast studio, several music recording studios, visual lab, co-working space, huge stage. It's crazy. It's amazing. You should definitely check out wreckphilly.com to see where they've been. But for now, please enjoy the origin story of the co-founder of one of the fastest growing startups in Philadelphia, Wreck Philly, with Will Tyrone Toms. Listening to Philly Who, the podcast that tells the stories of the doers, thinkers, and performers of Philadelphia. My name is Kevin Schmidlin, and today I'm talking with William Tyrone Toms. Will is the founder and head of strategy at Rec Philly, a creative agency and incubator for local artists and creative entrepreneurs. In this episode, you'll hear how Will and his co-founder, Dave Silver, would make a name for themselves throwing concerts as Broad Street Music Group. That is, until Will started to see a bigger need. We were throwing all these shows and like getting artists on these stages, but like I didn't feel like artists were promoting properly. And it wasn't even because like they didn't want to, but it was just like, it's clear that they don't know how. He'll tell the story of how Rec Philly would be born to provide creatives with the tools and network they need, and how the community quickly grew to serve over 200 creatives some of whom would immediately find life-changing opportunities. Met him on that Thursday. The show was on Friday. Chase goes on a U.S. tour with Tory Lanez the very next day. The tour ends. ASAP Ferg hits him up and says, yo, bro, I need a shooter for my world tour. Do you want to come? And for the first time, you'll hear how Will has recently opened up about his troubled family past and how he looks to set an example for those like him who are born into adversity. I almost looked at my story as a liability. I want to now share it because I know that there's so many young people in Philadelphia who may share my story and may not ever think that they have the ability to build something impactful. You'll hear that story and wreck Phillies now on Philly Who. Stay tuned. Just a heads up, there is a decent amount of cursing in this episode, so... If that's not your thing, don't listen. So Will Toms was born in the Germantown section of Philadelphia. And through the years of Broad Street Music Group, the founding of Rec Philly, and even him, Dave, and Rec being featured in Forbes magazine, Will stayed quiet about his upbringing. For all we knew, he came from a ritzy part of Bucks County with a comfortable life. And while there's nothing wrong with that, in actuality... Will's story is a little different. I was born to my mother who was actually battling addiction my entire life, actually. My father has been in in prison for the last 20 years, so I was actually raised by my grandmother. When I was about four, five years old, my uncle was actually murdered at the corner of our block. Um, After that happened, I ended up moving to the northeast section of Philadelphia. And then after that, eventually to Bucks County. So um, my Germantown childhood kind of got cut short. You know, in my grandmother's perspective, you know, she seeing me as just like a young, bright kid with tons of potential. She was just like, 
I got to get you off this block and I got to get you in a better environment. Considering um, my grandmother, to give some context to who she is as a woman, is she had five sons, um, one of which was murdered at 16 years old, um, and the rest, all of which spent at least eight years in prison, right? So she sees it as just like, I understand what this environment's doing to our family and um, had the foresight to say, if I can get him some education in a better environment, he'll do great things. And she did that and always made sure I understood the importance of education as I grew up. His grandmother would do everything to give him the level of comfort that his more privileged friends had. And through love, her faith, and hard work, he barely noticed a difference. And as for those times where he didn't quite have enough to do what he wanted, his entrepreneurial instincts kicked in. I remember just thinking through the numbers of like, all right, well, if I can buy all these marbles and I know all the kids at school are playing marbles, I can buy a bunch of them for cheap, go battle people and play for keeps, get a bunch of marbles and then start trading them and then sell them back to everyone. <laughs> so um, that you can go on the field trip, right? <laughs> so I can, yeah, so I can go on the field trip. And um, that was kind of like an addictive thing of just like, I got to figure it out. And I, I quickly just kind of earned that confidence of being able to always figure it out. And that came from things like I just mentioned or all the way up until like figuring out how to just have a party for the kids in my neighborhood because I had a buddy whose like dad would never be home until late and we could just bring everyone over and charge 10 bucks and find someone's older brother to get us alcohol and that whole thing so my childhood really um, started with me being super attracted to just understanding the power of media and um, that really showed me that entrepreneurship was possible for me. And then beyond that, I chased it just because I felt like I had to. As fate would have it, Will would go into his 10th grade chemistry class and sit next to the dude whose name was next to his alphabetically. His name was Dave Silver. We hit it off really well after we partnered up on like this one science project. I'll never forget this Mentos and soda experiment. And we had to uh, do a project talking about what happens when you put Mentos and soda together. And... Um, we decided to make a video because we both just bonded over like making media and all that kind of stuff. And um, we had so much fun with the project and just like the process of doing it. And we were just like, yeah, let's just do more cool shit. And uh, yeah, long story short, now we're here, right? I feel like your chemistry teacher could probably claim a little bit of right. Yeah, right? <laughs> shout, out, shout out to Mr. Shots, Jason Shots. <laughs> That's right. So you got to IUP and the legend goes that you were throwing shows yeah. in your fraternity's basement, right? Yeah. So it sounds like you were just picking up right where you left off here in Philly. Mm -hmm. Did you have to convince the fraternity to do this? Like, how did you even start with that? I ended up joining a, a fraternity that had about 50 active brothers, um, probably only like three or four at the time that were black. Um, so it was like, we're throwing parties in the basement regardless but it was just like, who's going to DJ? And it was just like, just get it here. Like, if we're going to, if we're going to have a good time, just go ahead. I guess that's me. Right? I, I got it. I got it. Um, so it was at this point where it was just like, yo, we're going to throw these parties, these ragers anyway. So like, let me just DJ. Yeah. So I'm DJing our parties and doing this and that. And um, I've always had musician friends who were doing their thing and I've always loved art and music. So it was just like, yo, let's just switch it up. Let's not always just do these like, super fucking sweaty basement ragers like we had stages in our basement and we had the resources to be able to do a quick pitch up and actually have 800 bucks to create a cool experience so it was just like all right well i'm gonna throw a charity event and we're gonna fucking bring 12 artists through and they're gonna get all get a chance to do their thing and we're gonna bring painters and things like that so it just for me it was just inherent that i was gonna be the person who was like 
really influential in the programming and the social chair because it, it was just who I was, you know what I mean? So Dave's going to Temple, you're going to IUP, you're both throwing basement parties uh, at your fraternities. Are you two going to each other's parties? Like, are you staying in touch at this point? Yeah, so we're staying in touch at this point. So again, um, we were friends all throughout high school. We're making business plans and all this kind of stuff. I think we both were kind of in the mindset of like, yeah, we're going to go off to school and do our thing. But as soon as we're done at, uni at a university, we're going to come back and build a business. Um, so he's doing his thing here. Uh, I'm doing my thing there. I'm leaving to come to Temple's homecoming, you know, and, and party with him. I think he came up for a homecoming with some of our friends, you know, and we were seeing what each other was doing. We're FaceTiming, you know, doing our thing, trying to still put business plans together remotely. Right. We're selling t-shirts and all that stuff. So we stayed in touch uh, pretty closely, especially on the first few years. Um, and, you know, just was each other's kind of support system and just like building those things. And then you two co-founded Broad Street Music Group. Yes. This was after school or during school? After school. So it's, I get home back to Philly from IUP. And um, this is when he's got Broad Street Music Lounge going in the fraternity basement. And he had just pretty much gotten like the ax. They're just like, yo, you can't run a fully functioning business out of the fraternity basement. The jig is up. Yeah. Um, so I'm back here in the city now and I'm like, all right, it's cool. Let's just take it to the next level anyway. Like, let's go find a real venue. Um, so we transitioned into Broad Street Music Group, made that the thing, and then started getting dive bars to let us throw their off nights. Okay. And, um, you know, quickly just built reputation for us taking a Tuesday night at an event, a venue like the Arts Garage that like doesn't even exist anymore. And um, we'd be like, yo, we feel like we can put a hundred people in your venue and it's going to look like this. It's going to feel like this. And we're gonna have five great acts and that's it. And they would say yes, or did you get pushback? So in the beginning, um, we got a lot of no's, of course, but once we got that first yes, we always made sure that we did right by the venue owner and we did right by all the talent that we put on stage. So I think really early on, our professionalism set us apart because if we told the venue owner 100 people were gonna be in the venue, 100 people were in the venue, you know? And if we told an artist, you're gonna go on at nine o'clock, you would go on at nine o'clock. And surprisingly, like that was a new thing to a lot of artists in the city. Yeah, why know? was that so important to you? Um, because I was going out to all these events and that wasn't the deal, you know? Like I had a best, we had a best friend at this time, um, still one of our best friends who was an artist and when we would go out and try to play the pseudo management role for him, we literally like, I can tell you endless stories of just us going to venues and they'd be like, all right, Christian Express, your set's at 10 o'clock and we're there with all our people, we're there at 10 o'clock and all of a sudden 10 comes, it goes, hey, sorry guys, we're running late. 11 comes and goes, we get on at 1230. Like what? You know, and it's just... And they probably knew full well that you weren't going on until Probably. <laughs> and, and sadly, sometimes not. They were just terrible at planning, you know? And other times it was just like, they knew, but they just wanted us to be there early kind of deal. So it was just all this like little things that were just such a lack of professionalism. And when we saw that, I was just like, yo, if I was going to throw a show, it would never be like that. It would never be like that. And then we started throwing shows and those little things that we had noticed other people noticed too. And when we corrected them and did them right, people were just like, yo, I, I'll always want to work with you guys on shows. I'll always want to perform when you guys give me the call because I knew what I could expect. Yeah. And um, we kept that attitude and always made sure that when we had one venue that trusted us, we could leverage that relationship to be able to go to another venue and say, hey, we had the Tuesdays for the last month and this is the numbers that we're doing. We would love to bring it to you guys. So then all of a sudden we're getting World Cafe Live upstairs. We're getting Dobbs Street on South Street crushing those crushing those and then we get you know the opportunity where 
it's like, hey, it's time to do a bigger show. And all of a sudden we find a way to get into union transfer, right? And learn as much as we can, you know, do some great stuff, make some mistakes, learn, 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 leverage that to go to the next venue. And got to a point where we're throwing five shows a week at one point, just crushing. At this point, you're working full time for Fame House. Is that right? Yeah. So at the same time, we're literally, you know, I'm working full time for Fame House. Um, Dave is working full time for Bentley Systems. Um, but I got literally recruited to work at Fame House because they knew that I was doing my Broad Street stuff. You know, I think someone had mentioned to them just like what I was doing, knowing that they needed someone for um, a marketing role. So they recruited me to work there. And it was like, all right, cool. I'll work this like what was it? First, it was uh, eight to five, and it was like nine to six. So I was working like eight to five there, and then it was like, cool, I get out of there, get something to eat, and I'm working seven to 1 a.m. doing my thing. At what point did you guys decide to pivot into Rec Philly? We went through the, the process of throwing like five shows a week for months, and um, we got to a point where we just realized like, yo, we're not gonna get more hours in a day, you know? And the biggest thing is, at that time, we actually had a third business partner. And um, he, he had a lot of scheduling restrictions. Um, he was actually Orthodox Jewish. Okay. And um, for anyone who knows about that culture, he actually couldn't do anything from like Friday night at sundown to like Saturday sunrise Sabbath, or something. Yeah, yeah. And us running a, a media company, like an entertainment company, it was just like, bro. That's prime time. That's the most important part of the week. Yep. So I remember we had a conversation. We all are actually... Um, we wanted, we called a meeting. We're like, yeah, we're going to talk. Let's go to Chickies and Pete's. Right. And we're going to have a conversation at Chickies, My Chickies and, Pete's. and Pete's. Was that specific? Yeah, it was, it was specific <laughs> <Okay>. because <laughs> before we had our full-time jobs, like back in late high school and like throughout college on breaks, my like side hustle gig for like at home from college was actually working at Chickies and Pete's. Ah, so okay. both Dave and I actually both worked at Chickies. He was working at the one in South Philly. I was working at the one in like Parks Casino. Um, and we had worked there for years. So it was just like, that's like just a good place. Um, and you know, and the other thing is the space. So real quick at Chickies and Pete's in those two locations that we worked at, they're the only two that actually had this kind of innovative concept where they created this thing called play two. Have you ever been to Chickies? I actually haven't. Oh, wow. You gotta yeah, go. I've, you gotta I've, go. Only, I've got, I've had the food at catered events in the okay. stadiums, but I've never actually been, been to one. You gotta go. Um, but for a few years, they were running this concept they created called Play 2. And the concept was it was this interactive sports bar where mostly people were coming to just watch sporting events and stuff. But they built out a whole half of their restaurant that would have these individual booths that you could rent out by the hour to play video games. So you could come there and play Madden with your homies. You could play Rock Band. And my job was to set people up playing these games and just like show them how to play and like teach them and all that type of shit. Um, but the thing was, it was like, yo, let's go there because they have a space that we can get for free so we can spend a couple hours and we'll just strategize and just figure out what the next phase of our company is going to be. Did you at least pretend to play Madden in the room? <laughs> yeah, we pretended for yeah. sure. Like yeah. we probably had it to 2K was just playing in the background, right? And we're just strategizing and... Um, I just remember we were going around the table just talking about like, we know that we can't sustain what we're doing right now in the way that we're doing it. It was like two things were wrong. One, it was like, yo, the amount of money that we're making at the shows that we were throwing, it was cool, but it wasn't like life-changing money, right? Especially not for how much energy we were putting into it. And then second, it was just like, we were throwing all these shows and like getting artists on these stages, but like, 
I didn't feel like artists were promoting properly. And it wasn't even because like they didn't want to, but it was just like, it's clear that they don't know how to, to properly promote. Like people were winning fans doing incredible performances, but they didn't have any merch to come out and convert any of the fans that they had just won over into customers, right? Like people were coming to us saying like, yo, Will, Dave, can you introduce me to an entertainment lawyer? Do you know a studio I can work out? Will, will you shoot my music video? And it's like, yo, we just throw shows. Like that's what we do. And I realized just like in that moment, it's just like, yo, there's something missing here. We could be so much more impactful to these people that we're helping that we want to serve. Um, so we spent our time going around in a circle, um, just pitching our ideas to each other for what's next. And I remember the idea that our other business partner put out at the time. And I looked at him and I was just like, in that moment, it clicked. I was like, he doesn't get it at all. You know what I mean? And um, after that, I kind of just went back to the drawing board and I'm just like, what the fuck are we going to do? Because this ain't it. And whatever the fuck he just said, definitely ain't it. And like... There's so much more that we could be doing. So long story short, we ended up sitting back and this is at a time where, you know, when I went to school, I was studying communications media and then my minor was in economics. So I've always, I've always been fascinated by just like systems and understanding how systems work and especially like economic systems. And I'm watching companies like Uber, which is really young at this time. I'm watching companies like Airbnb, which is really young at this time. And I'm like, damn, like they're really disrupting industries because they understand this idea that there's a person who needs a ride and they can help that person find the person who's willing to give someone a ride at the moment they need it, right? They're finding that person who needs somewhere to crash while they're on the go and pairing them up with someone who has an extra bedroom that they're willing to share. And as I'm doing that, like as I'm researching these companies, I'm just like, yo, creatives like have no idea about this concept. Like all the communities that I've been a part of have never understood this idea of resource sharing short of my fraternity that I was in, right? When I talk about that idea of like, oh, I have an idea, let's do a pitch up and now I have 800 bucks, right? So I sit back and I'm just like, the history of the music industry has always been, there's the people with the money and the resources and then there's the artists, right? And they always made sure that the artists really never understood the actual business and, and they exploited them. So I'm like, what if we got to a point where we could leverage this idea of resource sharing and empower all these creatives just because the simple fact is right now, there's probably an artist over there that needs a venue. And there's a dude over on this side that never talks to that guy whose uncle owns a venue, right? And that guy needs a videographer and the guy he won't talk to across the city is the best videographer in town. It was like everyone in the city was siloed. Like when we came into, into the industry back in 2012, 2013, like there were these very specific lanes of music heads, right? Like it was very well defined. It was like, the gutta gutta shit, Philly hip hop awards. And then there was like people like Silo, um, who was a DJ who threw these awesome pizza parties. And they were more like on like the hipster wave of like the new guys. And then there was just like all these other little like clicks and picks. And I'm just like, fuck that. Cause like they all think their egos are telling them that like what they're doing in their lane is the best shit ever but they're all hitting the ceiling because they're too egotistical to just lean over to someone else and say, how can I help and how can you help me? So basically I'm just like, yo, that has to change. Like this whole paradigm needs to change. And um, that's when we took a step back at the end of 2014 and said, yo, we're gonna go in a different direction and build 
this resource hub and, and figure out how we can create a better economic infrastructure for the creative community. So did you pitch this to Dave or did you come to this conclusion together that this was the move? How did that go? So basically I, I we like, I really went ham on my research and I kind of got the foundation of the idea together. And then we went to, um, actually we were living in South Philly together at this time. We had built the company out of our basement, um, literally our basement of a house we lived in at this time. And we went to our buddy Adam's crib and, um, Adam was like, yo, you guys work too fucking much. You're just going to chill and I'm going to play you Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> Put on Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah, right. And we're listening to this music and um, I'm like, yo, I got it. And then we just start spitballing. So I threw out the concept and I was like, what if literally like we take all the relationships that we built so far, all the venues that we know, all the videographers who are real deal, not bullshitters, all the artists who are serious, yada, yada, yada. And we fucking build this infrastructure and we can find a way to have people pay monthly to have access to everything that's going on. And we'll fucking invest in people and we'll fucking give them access to this and we'll build a space and yada, yada, yada. And we were just going back and forth. And he's like, what about this? What about that? And like, Dave and I's dynamic works really well because I'm like the visionary guy, like we're going to fucking go to the moon and back. And he's like, but what's step one? You know what I mean? So like, but I had, I had just like come up with the concept of just like understanding what those other businesses were doing. And I was like, yeah, we need to take resource sharing and then fucking put it into the, the, the creative sector. So what was step one? So step one was first get rid of our fucking third <laughs> business partner. <laughs> um, but the, the universe kind of did that. So it was, it was definitely a very cordial thing. Okay. You guys are on good terms. Yeah. We're on good terms now. So shout out to him. He went off and got married, did his whole thing. So awesome. cool. he was living a different life. So um, yeah. And then after that, we were like, okay, well, if we think this is a good idea, let's go get feedback. Right. As an, as an entrepreneur, the whole thing is come up with your concept, go get proof of concept by getting feedback, iterate, iterate, iterate. Um, so we started holding focus groups, like crazy. Like, let's just get, like we were literally hosting town halls where we'd have 50 people from the community in the creative sector come out and we'd do a fucking presentation thinking we're like Steve Jobs, yeah. right? And being like, here it is. So as early as like, again, maybe 2014, midway through 2014, we're introducing the idea to all of like the key stakeholders that we knew and respected. And we're like, yo, this is our idea. Everyone's going to get behind this idea and we're going to fucking be able to do cool projects. And to be honest, a lot of the first feedback we got was all like, nah, this isn't going to work. No one's going to buy in. It's been, people have tried it. It won't work for this reason and that reason. And, and I'm just, I'm just like, you're wrong like yeah, yeah. you know what i mean um but that was the first step it was trying to get as much feedback as possible we just kept doing what we were doing and the and the whole time we just we kept throwing shows too you got a lot of negative feedback did you get mostly negative feedback early on i think we got a vocal minority of negative feedback right so it wasn't like everyone was like no you guys are stupid right. but like some people that i really respected i went to and was like yo here it is here's the solution and they were like nah and when they said that at any point did you doubt your vision um, I'd say in spurts, right? Like a little bit of like, damn, for real, somebody tried this. But then it's just like, no, cause you're, it was, I always, I always was good at just like contextualizing what was said by who was saying it. Right. So like I get feedback from someone who, no offense, was like, let's say late thirties, early forties telling me about their history of why it could never work. But I'm like, you don't understand Uber's business model you don't understand Airbnb. Like you're, you're, you're telling me no from this perspective of a decade ago when the things that I'm talking about are only in possible now, you know what I mean? Um, to a certain degree. So 
I never really lost faith in the idea at that time. It was just like, no, they don't understand. So I'm just going to keep showing that it works, keep showing that it works. And the next step was we did some really impactful projects that started to get the attention of people because we were doing things that they said could never be done. What was the first moment that you were like, see, here it is. I think the very first moment of see, here it is, there's two. Um, one, the one that comes to mind first, though, was our very first South by Southwest show. Okay, so this was what, 2015? This is 2015. Up until this time, there had never been an official Philadelphia show at South by. And for anyone who doesn't know, South by Southwest is like one of the biggest music, art, tech conferences in the world, um, bringing together you know, forward thinkers in all these industries and basically presenting what's to come in all of those um, aspects. So we are like, okay, we know that we want to have a presence there. Um, let's just figure it out. And at this time, I think David had been hired to go do marketing for a different company the year before. And he had come back and was like, yo, South by is the bee's knees. We got to find a way to get there. Um, so after that, we just bootstrapped some funding. You know, we, we raised about $11,000. And my vision for South by was like, we're going to do an official showcase. None of this unofficial shit where people are paying for slots and all that, which was a very big thing back then, pay to play and all that murky stuff. Um, but we're, like, we're going to do an official show. And I'm like, I want it to be this like passing of the torch moment for Philly music. And I wanted to have Freeway and Lil Uzi Vert co-headline. Wow. And this is back when, right before Uzi bubbled up and did his crazy thing. And um, we made that work. And it, that was one of those moments where all of those naysayers who said that people couldn't get on one accord and this and that, they were just like, damn, you guys did it. And then it was just like, all right, well, maybe you guys are on to something, you know? Um, so you got those two to do the show. Yeah, absolutely. We, we did it and it was amazing. How, oh my gosh, that's so cool. It was amazing. That was the year that... Um, Basically, Uzi was on the verge of, of breaking, and DJ Drama was really influential in his come up. DJ Drama came out to our show. It was a packed out show. Austin, Texas sold out a venue with like, yeah, 400 people, thousands of miles away from home. And that was at a time when DJ Drama was just basically bringing Uzi to like now going to every other show and just really working him to get him to pop. Uh, but yeah, we get home. Uzi continues to prosper and everyone had now heard about what we just done outside the city and we got back and when I tell you like business development was crazy after that it got crazy because people were just like who are these guys that just came out of nowhere that just did something that's never been done before for Philly um, and then that just really just changed the dynamic of what was going on even though we, it wasn't these guys out of nowhere we've been throwing been, five shows a week yeah. and all that stuff but so did you notice a difference in people how they, they sort of treated you and your business before and after that event? Yeah. I think um, before it was a lot of just like we had to pay our dues and earn a lot of respect, you know, and people didn't know who we were and a lot of people didn't care. And um, But the artists that we had ever worked with and had relationships with, they already, they were bought in because they just really trusted us, I believe, just as professionals and as leaders. Um, but after, it was like all those people who were kind of on the fence, now they were like, Yo, what are you guys doing next year? Yeah. You, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's just how can it goes. I, uh, can I come? <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Um, so we did that, and then we went and did an experience at A3C, and, and did something similar, and um, really just kept up the momentum after that. So it wasn't too long until you guys and Rec Philly were featured in Forbes. Yeah, man. How did how did that come to be? How did you find out that that was going to happen? Was it a surprise? Did you know? Um, so that transpired from us just 
keeping that consistent grind up. And then uh, what happened was there was a, a friend of our circle who had an, made one of the Forbes lists, like the 30 under 30 list. And um, he had a relationship with a writer and um, the writer interviewed him for that article. And then at the end, she was like, hey, my next assignment, I have to find some really impactful community driven businesses. Like who's doing something innovative in, in a community? And he was like, oh, well, I don't know if you what you're gonna think, but you should check out Rec Philly and just see what they're doing. Um, and then after that, she was interested, reached out, um, did a quick interview with Dave, did a quick interview with me, and then it came out, <laughs> you know? Now it's funny how something like that, like just a quick interview, you know, like a, an article that's, you know, none of the stuff that's in that article is new to you guys, but it hits Forbes, which is such a big name and has such a big audience. What, what happens day of? I sent it to my grandmother. And that moment was just, it was crazy, you know? She was just so fucking excited, you know? Um, she had called me and um, I could just tell that she was just like crying tears of joy, just like, did you see this? And I'm like, of course I saw it, I just said this to you. Like, <laughs> um, but she was just so pumped and by the time I had went um, that following weekend to like go visit, like she had already had it printed out and framed on the wall and all that stuff. So it was really cool, just more than anything for her, you know? That's incredible. That's, yeah. That's awesome. It's quite quite a journey to get there. I probably shed a tear of joy that day, you know. As an entrepreneur, just like seeing your name in Forbes, it's just like you're elated, man. Like, um, and it was awesome. But that day was just a great day, just for myself, for the team, you know. And this was at a point where like we had a team that's been grinding it out with us, you know, damn near every day for two years, you know. Um, you know, from beyond Dave and myself doing everything. Fortunately, over time, we got to build a team. And at this point, we probably had like. There's probably six or eight of us who were grinding really hard. So, like, bigger than just me being happy about it, like, I was just happy to see the team get reinvigorated because, you know, we're all committing. We're all people who had finished college and have made decisions to do this thing that is risky instead of just doing the, the normal nine-to-five thing. So the Forbes thing was most important to show some of our parents, like, Hey, there's something here, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, and, um, again, another wave of that. Okay. You were on the fence about what Rec Philly's doing before. Okay. Now you, you get it a little bit more. And it's kind of sad. Like for me, like I never really care about like all the glitz and glam of like, Oh, Forbes said so. Right. But cause it's like my business was the same the day before Forbes wrote about it. Right. But sometimes it takes someone with that name to kind of say, I second this before other people um, want to come on and support. So it's kind of, to me, it's like bittersweet because it took that, but it's still fucking awesome. I mean, it's nothing to that magnitude, but I'm going through that now a little bit because this podcast was featured in a magazine on phillymag.com a couple weeks oh, ago. Nice. Congratulations. Oh, well, thanks. Uh, which, I mean, you know, only three months in, that's incredible. And I'm like super proud of that and pumped, but I just started including that link in my emails and now everyone starts responding, right? Business development <laughs> yeah. gets so much easier. Yeah, man. Like you said, and you're like, man, all you needed was that one stamp. That's it. From a name that everyone knows, which, you know, it's not to say that it's not actually worth that because it, it truly is. Yeah, but that's that's life though. But you you better believe that the next day we all put uh, read about Rec Philly on Forbes oh. and our email signatures. <laughs> you better believe that. <laughs> oh, Twitter bios, email signatures, Instagram, everywhere. Yeah. Check this out. All of a sudden email return rates are going way up. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just a part of it right so far in the journey of rec what's the first example that comes to mind of a big impact that you guys have had on an artist that has come through 
I'm going to answer this in a kind of a roundabout way. Sure. Right. We got time. All right, cool. So throughout our process of the journey, right, I've been at so many highs and lows of this whole entrepreneurial thing, you know, and like some of the highs are the things that we're talking about with like Forbes and like South by and like all these cool moments. But like, there's also been so many moments of like uncertainty, you know, like I had a really great job working at a creative agency, working for Eminem and Shady Records and Ice Cube. And then I quit that to then build this. And like, you know, there's, there was moments where I was fucking sleeping in our studio for fucking months. Cause that was like my only consistent spot to crash. And like one of my really good friends, Leonzo, um, he and I were fucking grinding it out, living in the studio for a long time at this point. And we're sitting there having conversations just about like goals, where we're trying to go, what we're trying to accomplish. And, um, recently I was looking back on this and, um, it really re-inspired me because there were so many times where we were throwing some of the biggest events in the city that later that night after a sold out show, I was coming back to fucking sleep on the couch in the studio and people didn't know that, you know what I mean? So like there were these real moments of just like me and Leonza looking at each other on the other side of the cat of the, the other couch in the room and it's fucking leaking through the studio and we're fucking sharing peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And we're just like, don't worry, bro. This shit's all going to pay off. You know what I mean? And, um, fast forward like a year and a half that situation being behind us to see what Leonzo has gone on to build after that he's also been building a really successful company called global village and um when we were in that studio one of the things that we were talking about was just how he felt like what we were building while we were at the studio was just a safe space for ourselves to just be who we were and just to be creative you know like in that studio, it was the seeds of what now became the rec room because we were like, yo, we're going to fucking crash in the studio until we get kicked out <laughs> from the landlord because we weren't allowed to be living there. And um, I'm like, well, fuck it. If I'm here, I'm going to put up my backdrop because I want to shoot videos while I'm here and I just want to create art. And he was like, cool, well, I'm going to just build a recording studio so I can just rap and just get this shit out of my head. And um, we were just staying up having all these late night conversations about just the industry and just about what we wanted to accomplish. And like, looking back, we were just programming ourselves to be the people that we wanted to become, you know? And like, to see that all of the inklings of that have now become Rec Philly, one, I'm proud of that. But two, to see that he realized like, yo, we just built a safe space for ourselves to express what we had in our, inside of us. He was like, yo, I want to build a company where like artists can have a place where they can come and just jam and just like get all the stress of the nine to five life out, like get whatever they're plagued with throughout their family situations out and just express. And long story short, it was like, all right, cool, bro. Use the studio, do the first one. We did it actually at the rec room here. We had about nine people come out. And now just about two weeks ago, we had a jam at La Cologne where we were hired by La Colombe to throw an event and we were able to hire the jam to come there, paid them very well and had 200 plus people come out for this event. And when I tell you that like the, the, the room was so fucking diverse, like age wise, background wise, talent wise, 
And there was just so much good energy there. At walking out, I like hugged Leonzo, like the longest hug ever. And I'm just like, yo, I'm so proud of you, bro. Like, cause we were really in a terrible, not a terrible situation. I don't want to put it all dramatic, but like we were not, we were in a fucked up situation. And um, to see that the way we were able to program ourselves in that room and then to see how we could then take those ideas and concepts and then lead people to build companies that could then give that same feeling to other people that's what this whole thing is all about you know so i'm extremely proud of his growth you know and like what he's built with global village um so that's like always one of my favorite just like look at the outcome of the science that we've been preaching you know um so that's one story another one is um we have a have a close friend he goes by guru media he's a videographer um and Man, I mean, Rick Philly changed his life. We got connected to Tory Lanes on some random, random shit, right? So I think Dave is on his on a plane back from to Philly from Arizona. He had like gone out to visit a friend, and um, he texts me while he's on the plane. And he's like, "Yo, so I'm sitting next to this guy who says that he's Tory Lanes' assistant. Should I say something to him?" And I'm like, yeah, you should say something to him. <laughs> Tell him what the fuck we do and like give him my number. Like, let's figure this out. Um, so they chat and he gives him my number. Um, and then I kind of forget about it for a little bit. Next morning, I get a text from a guy who's like, hey, man, I met your business partner on the plane. Um, I'm in town with Tori for our show and he needs a place to record. Do you know anywhere? I'm like, fucking right, I do. Like, So I'm like, it's not the most impressive thing, but I'm like, forget it. I want Tory Lanez here, you know? So um, I make two quick phone calls. I call Ben Thomas, who is, you know, one of our members, earliest members, believed in us really early, incredibly talented uh, engineer. But at this time, he was working for like some um, investment fund downtown. He's a young kid in Temple uh, at this time. And I call him up and I'm like, Ben, I know you're at work, but there's a very high chance that Tory Lane's going to come to the studio you got to record him, bro. I'm coming to pick you up. And he's like, all right, fuck it. Come pick me up. Yeah. So he I like, say no. Yeah. Right. So he like tells his job. He's like, yeah, family emergency. I got to go. <laughs> so I pick him up. We run, we get back to, we come back to the studio and then I make my second phone call and I'm like, Chase guru. His name's Chase. I'm like, Chase, I'm not sure, but I have a good feeling that Tory Lane's about to pull up to the studio. You should pull up. He's in Westchester at this time. Cause he was uh, out at his parents' crib. He's like, all right, I'll pull up. So he, he leaves, he gets here. Um, hour and a half later, Tory Lanez pulls up, right? So I'm like, all right, Chase, I'm like, hang out in this room. And when the right time is, is here, I'm going to introduce you to Tory. Chase is an incredible videographer. And um, so Tory's walking down the hallway and um, he's looking at all of the windows, you know, the windows in this hallway. And he's like, yo, man, he's like, this, this building is mad inspiring. Like, I would love to shoot a visual here. He's like, you guys got any shooters? And I was like, yeah, actually, I got one right next door that I'd love for you to meet. Um, so I run over, I get Chase. I'm like, yo, I'm like, he wants to meet you, bro. Come over here. I'm like, bring your laptop, pull up all that hot shit. Come over yeah, here. Yeah, get ready. Yeah, so um, he had he had been working on this video for this artist named Ant Beal at the time, and he had been doing a lot of really cool drone work. And this is when like drones were kind of new still to the scene and like really impressive when you saw that in a video. Um, so he comes over and uh, we pull out the laptop and we show Tori that piece. And he's like, yo, bro, he's like, you mad cold with the drone work. Like, this is dope. You have it with you? And he's like, yeah, you know, always have it, yada, yada, yada. So we're chopping it up. Tori records two songs in our studio and he leaves. And then they hit us up and they're like, 
yo, the show's tomorrow night. We have the first show of our tour. We're going on a, a U.S. tour with ASAP Ferg. We need a shooter. He's like, is your guy available? Yeah. And I'm like, of course, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so this is, a, this is a Thursday. The show was on Friday. Chase comes out, shoots the show, turns around a recap for him that night before he goes to, sleep, goes to bed. He fucking shoots it, cuts it, sends it to him. Tori's like, yo, this shit's hot. He's like, yo, we leave for tour tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Do you want to come? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Met him fucking on that Thursday. The show was on Friday. Chase goes on a fucking U.S. tour with, Ace, with Tory Lanez yeah. the very next day, yeah. right? Changes the, his whole game. He goes out on tour, documents the whole thing. It's a co-headline tour, Tory Lanez and ASAP Ferg. The tour ends. ASAP Ferg hits him up and says, yo, bro, I need a shooter for my world tour. Do you want to come? Oh, my God. Chase then goes on the world tour. So within hand. within the matter of hours, if that, he goes from whatever the daytime job was to he goes from yeah to shooting his videos, U.S. tour and world tour with ASAP Ferg. Exactly, um, and up until this day, he is still ASAP Ferg's day to day shooter. Wow. Yeah. So one of many, I'm sure. One of many, but you know, to me, it's just like that's the power of a space like this. You know, like that idea of having that centralized hub where it's just like yo we're already doing these things anyway but like if i didn't have someone that i could call and depend on that i knew was dope no one would have got that opportunity you know so you mentioned how you've you had that vision you you said we just need these people to meet each other they're they're next to each other but they're not with each other and here you're seeing that come to fruition in the best way what makes you feel that way now? What do you see now where you're like, yo, we need to do this? I, I like to obsess over um, things. When I get interested in the concept and idea, I really dig in. Um, so as I've been watching companies grow through the resource sharing space, like it's hard to be in tech and be an entrepreneur and not have heard of WeWork, yeah. you know? And to like see what they're doing with their operation, like it's ridiculous. You know, like they're, we're talking billion dollar valuation, billions of dollar valuation. They've got hundreds of spaces across the world yeah. you know what i mean like to me that's that's what i want you know what i mean like i my vision for for rec philly has never been just philly it's always been like i want to prove the model here and um show that it works and then i want to go and take it and say okay where are the other markets around the country and around the world that have similar climates where there's tons of talent but they don't have that infrastructure right so WeWork has inspired the hell out of me to know that it's possible to be able to bring space to people all over the world. Um, so I want to be able to do that and build Rec DC and Rec Austin and Rec Boston and Rec fucking Toronto and Rec Shanghai and you know and and be able to bridge that gap because that's what gets me more excited. Like I think what we're doing right now is dope. Um, our next kind of small win we'll probably talk about in a bit. Like we're gonna go, we're building a new space and like that's gonna really change the game for Philly, in my opinion. Um, but all this localized Philly economy stuff is amazing, and I'm super proud of that. But that's not the end-all, be-all. To me, what gets really special is when we have dozens of these facilities across the country where it's like, yo, I'm a young artist who just built my whole audience online, and now I got fans who know about me, and I want to go on my first tour. That first tour for a lot of artists is like make or break because you almost never get, get back home in the green. Like it's always an investment. And most of the time artists will go broke on the road because they're traveling, they're spending money on travel. They're trying to stay at a hotel that's usually shitty and shady as hell. Then they want to try to record either in the back of their van or they're going to get hit over the head paying for studio time in a city where they know nobody. 
and it's just this weird operation you know venues are shady as hell you don't know these people but for me to be able to have an artist that can say yo i see where all the rec rooms are and i can go to this facility where there's like-minded people there are creatives like me i have a place to stay i got a place to record they can vet out the proper uh venue owners and curators so i'm not gonna run into the janky promoters that want to fucking make me do pay to play and all that stuff like that's that's really where my vision is where it's like we need a national and international network of independent creatives that can literally be able to just support each other we don't need the fucking institutions anymore you know what i mean we don't need these big banks that are run by people who don't look like us who don't talk like us who don't respect the culture who don't appreciate art you know what i mean those are the ones that are dictating our livelihoods but for me it's like how do we resource share within the people who understand it and grow in that way and that's what's inspiring me right so now. at what point do you do you start looking for the first second city Sure. So we, we've already. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, um, <laughs> what you're allowed to say, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So where and where we are now is, um, you know, like I said, we're sitting in the prototype space. This is, you know, the first space that we've built out in North Philadelphia um, at Ninth and Dolphin. Um, but we're very, very deep in the process of building our first official space. Um, so I'm very excited that we're about to announce in about two months um, 10,000 square foot state of the art facility in the heart of the city. Wow, um, that's I'm, gonna change I'm, everything. It's gonna change everything, I'm so excited. Um, but we've already been doing our research and uh, building relationships with the cities that we're after next. Um, we have a short list of what those next two locations will be, uh, but we're really, really interested in places like Austin. Um, we're really interested in places like DC, um, really interested in Toronto, I'm really interested in Detroit, and um, a couple other markets. Looking at your life more, you know, from a 30,000 foot view now, how has your upbringing in Philly and your family situation impacted the business that you're building? It's funny because when I was growing up, I was actually, I was really, you know, looking back, I was really ashamed of my upbringing. Yeah, man. Like being, being that only kid that looked like me in school and all that stuff, like I was really charismatic and outgoing and I could easily kind of just like put up the face you know and, and, and do it but like I think as I got older I started to carry just like the shame of like I don't want people to know that my dad's been in prison for so long I don't want people to know that my mom's a drug addict right so it was all just like smiles and how you doing well great yada yada and like I almost looked at my story as a liability for a very long time and um, just getting older and getting to the point where I can see the power in the story I want to now share it because I know that there's so many young people in Philadelphia who may share my story and um, they may not ever think that they have the ability to build something impactful, you know, or that they can even create art with their story that can help, you know, get people through, you know, like there's so many people who I think may have looked at me and not known my story that may have written it off and said well of course you can go accomplish that because you probably come from the burbs and silver spoon but it's like nah not at all um so you know again when i when i built rec philly and, and as i'm building it you know i really have a intense focus on helping people understand one the importance of space to just like be who you are you know like you walk outside especially as a young kid in philly like every single person and thing is trying to tell you who you are whether it's the fucking cops who want to pull you over for doing for just 
being you, whether it's, you know, the fucking school system that says that you have fucking ADHD because you don't want to fucking calm down in class, but you really don't want to calm down in class because there's shit going on at home that you really want to cry about, but you can't. So you're going to just crack jokes on people to make you feel better, right? There's all these things and pressures that just want to make people be ashamed of who they are. Um, So I really want to build a space to show people that who they are and what their story is is their biggest asset possible you know and beyond that there's a lot of kids who have the the strength and the courage to be themselves but they don't have a network of resources that can actually help them turn that into something that can be a sustainable business right so man my childhood and like what i've experienced is just at the complete center of what we're building with rick philly and, um, you know, I hope to, to share my story, to just impact other people, to share theirs, to remind everyone that our stories collectively are what culture is. And culture is the most valuable thing in the world. I mean, so you gave me a walkthrough when, when I got here today. And, you know, we walked into the recording studio. We walked into uh, the visual studio and even the, the office where, you know, your whole team is. And I don't, I don't think I've ever walked into a room and felt so welcome immediately, Word, you know, like they were, they stopped the recording session to give me a hug. Like it's, it's incredible. So, so the, the, the attitude and, and the vibe around here is nothing like I've seen before. I appreciate um, that, man. What's a common misconception about you? I like to consider myself the most outgoing introvert you'll ever meet. Okay. Right. Like, um, I can be super charismatic and I'm, you know, what's up people person, but for real, for real, I'm a thinker. And, um, very I like to just be with myself as often as I can um but because of that I think there's a lot of people who sometimes may perceive me as being standoffish um and for a while I was like dealing with this story of like I think people wanted to assume because the story wasn't out there the narrative wasn't out there people wanted to assume that like born and raised in Bucks County comes from money all that stuff and I think you know, there's a few reasons for that, but I think that was like a damaging misconception because it just, I got to a point where I was just like missing out on the opportunity to empower um, the people who come from where I come from. So that's like one of the biggest misconceptions. And um, honestly, I just very, very recently got comfortable enough to even share my story on platforms like these. Um, But it's because I understand the responsibility and the potential to empower, you know? Um, And honestly, the, now that I'm thinking about it, the, the first moment that I realized it was important to tell my story actually was it when the Forbes article dropped because for a lot of my life, I've been going by my, my name, my short name, Will Toms, right? And like, I used to joke with my friends about, uh, we used to joke that like Will Toms is like the best resume name ever, right? Because it's just like you, you hear Will Toms, you know, you have no preconception of what Will Toms looks like. You can't apply any bias to that. Right, you know, and um, I love that and I leaned into it, right? And I had the sharpest resume ever. But then I started to realize like after the article came out, it was about, like, about a month later, I was like just rereading it one day and I was real, real upset with myself because I was like, damn, in certain parts of this, there's no photos. So if I'm a young black entrepreneur looking at this, there's no connection to be like, oh shit, he's like me, right? The Forbes article doesn't cover my childhood. It doesn't under, it doesn't cover my story. And um, my middle name is Tyrone, right? Which is a very descriptive name. Like there's not many white people named Tyrone. No, I've met one, but- Oh, really? Yeah, I met one, it's crazy, but there's not many. Um, but I thought to myself, I'm just like, 
damn, how dope would it have been if I put William Tyrone Toms? So like me 10 years ago could have read that and been like, yo, there's this dude who's probably just like me building this thing. Like, and I realized how big of an opportunity I missed to empower my peeps. You know what I mean? So after that, I, I realized like, one, I have to represent better. And two, I got to just tell my story, you know, because the context is way more important than all this shit. Like, fuck the end product, what we're building. It's like, why are they building that? Who is building that? And how do I know that that's going to be different than what's been built in the music industry before? And my story is... That, that rings... Uh, that reminds me a lot of the discussion that I had with Yasmin Mustafa uh, okay. in one of the episodes so far. She was a refugee... Yeah. And became undocumented yes. after coming. So the Global Village event that I had mentioned that we did about two weeks ago at La Cologne, Jasmine Mustafa was one of the special guests that was a part of a conversation with Leonzo and the owner of La Cologne right before where I got to hear her and story. And the owner is Todd Carmichael, which is so far the most downloaded episode of the show. Wow, nice. Good <laughs> so, stuff. Good and stuff. we all met at South by Southwest, so it's really all just oh, one big full circle. circle. <laughs> I like it. I like it. There you go. Um, but isn't that what it's all about? Fucking building that's spaces for community here, to be built, right? That's why we're here. Absolutely. And what, what I'm trying to do with the show and what I really want to do, so an, another to reference another episode, um, there's an episode with Brendan Lowry, which actually just dropped today, so the day He's that we're recording. Yeah, shout out to Brendan Lowry one time. He is the man and has done so much to help me just out of the goodness of his heart. So, so cool. And he dove into how after he started People Delphia, the Instagram account, which has over 85,000 followers, he had a moment when he discovered that everything that he was putting out there was out of his lens. Mm-hmm. And that he had to learn, you know, he had a responsibility at that point. You do. And with all that we're talking about here, I can't help but think for myself, like, you know, how can I do that? I don't even know why I'm bringing it up, but. Sure, dude, but that, but that's, honestly, I'm so happy that you even, like, shared that. Like, that's important. Like, that's what it's all about. Because, like, I, I really believe that for us all to just, like, move forward, like, we have to be able to put those lenses down. Like, you can call that whatever you want. You can call that increased empathy. You can call that fucking just, like, EQ. You can call it whatever, but it's, like, until we can just like say, yo, everything that I believe about the world is specifically because of every single thing that I've ever experienced and I will never understand to the fullest potential someone else's experience. Like until we can do that, we'll never move forward because what's blocking it is ego. 